Wars All In is a community of fans for all things Star Wars. We want to share our fandom with you, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Star Wars All In. Also, search on Facebook to join in the conversation with our private group. We would love to hear from you. Galaxy, you're listening to Star Wars All In, the show where we go all in on every topic in a galaxy far, far away. I am one of your hosts, my name is Mac, and I'm joined by another cosmic space cowboy, my buddy Ross. Oh, Mac, it is great to be here today. We have some really fun things to talk about from every era of Star Wars. We did pick a big, broad spectrum today, didn't we? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So, Before we talk about our topics, Mm -hmm. there is one other little thing I'd like to talk about. Because now we're on episode five. Five. Episode V. We we are about to launch. We are about to release this to the public. I will say that if you are one of the uh, people who has found this show before we've started advertising (laughs) or really actually launched. I can't believe that like there's tens of people that have already found our, our podcast, even though... It, it's only out there so I could make sure publishing worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we did publish some episodes earlier than we said we would, literally because we just wanted to make sure they showed up in searches and the artwork uploaded and yes. basically production she- reasons. <laughs> right. And some people have found them. Um, we don't believe most of them are our friends because we feel like they would have told us. So just people who, you know, we know we don't know because we know they're listening in other countries and, and other states. So we just wanted to first say thank you for that. And yeah. if you are one of those people or if you're just listening to us for the first time, we really want to hear from you. Yes. The whole point of this show is it's Star Wars fans talking to one another. Right. The best part of my day, you know, Mac and I see each other a lot. We live very close to each other. We work together. We've been friends for a long time. And one of my favorite things to do in the entire world is show up at work, see Mac is also working, and talk to him about the newest announcement <laughs> in Star Wars, the Star Wars book I read over the weekend, the, the thing I just purchased, and to hear, you know, about his opinions and his ideas right. when it comes to Star Wars. And that's really all this show is meant to be, is a chance for us as Star Wars fans to talk to each other, to share our thoughts and opinions with other Star Wars fans, and hopefully to hear from them as well. So that brings me to our next little part here. At the yeah. beginning of every episode, you've heard there's a little uh, bit of info that tells you where you can find us, but I just wanted to repeat that here. So you can search for Star Wars All In on Twitter mm-hmm. and Instagram and find our pages. They should come right up. Yep. Please feel free to mention us there, to comment on any of our posts, to let us know uh, you know, what you think about any episodes you've listened to, any topics, anything that uh, you feel needs to be corrected factually. We're definitely open to hearing those critiques because we need to 
know when we've made a mistake. You know, we definitely will make mistakes. There's no doubt about that. But (laughs) there's a lot of info out there in this galaxy for us to learn. And I guarantee you, neither of us have it all memorized. So if anything is... Despite us trying. Yeah, despite us, our best efforts. So please let us know what you want to hear us talk about, what you like, what you don't like. Um, We're going to expand to different types of guests and different types of topics as we go on. We're going to release a new episode every single week every wednesday you can come back and hear a new show from star wars all in and we also do have a facebook group that uh, anyone is welcome to join it is a private group the whole point of this facebook group because i'm not a big avid avid facebook user but at the end of the day it is still one of the best gathering places it's still a great place for this to absolutely so please join our group there and Get in on the conversation. Mac and I will be posting there. We'll be interacting with anyone who has anything they'd like to say to us or any topics they'd like to hear on the show. That's where we love to hear them. So please join our group, join in our conversation, join in our community. We really just want to have more Star Wars friends to talk about this stuff with. At the end of the day, that's our goal. You live in a small town where you don't have any Star Wars friends around. You got a bunch of Star Trek nerds around you there. Come hang out with us. Come talk to us about Star Wars and everything you love about it, because that's what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So sit back, enjoy. We've got three big topics coming at you today. We're going to be looking at Tobias Beckett, the maybe original scoundrel of the stars. We're going to talk to him about him for a while, for about uh, you know 45 minutes or so. We're going to go into Tobias Beckett pretty deep. And then we've got two kind of short and sweet. We've got two that are around uh, 12 to 15 minutes. We're going to be talking about the E-11 blaster rifle, mm-hmm. and we're also going to talk about Wrath Tars. It's going to be a fun one. Another exciting episode of Star Wars All In coming right at you right after this. survived as long as I have I trust no one assume everyone will betray you and you will never be disappointed sounds like a long night way to live welcome back to Star Wars all in this is Ross and I am here with Mac hey Hey, how's it going (laughs) I'm all doing all right Mac Mac are you ready to talk about everybody's favorite space outlaw Favorite space outlaw. I think that, you know, admittedly in Star Wars, there's a large rogues gallery to choose from. But I think with that specific comment, there's only one man we could be talking about. It's not Han Solo. It's not. It it is Han Solo's mentor, Tobias Beckett. Yes. Now, if you were as excited as I was when I first learned Woody Harrelson was going to be in a Star Wars movie. I don't think there's very many people on Earth who could have been as excited as you were. Let me tell you how much I love some Woody Harrelson. (laughs) Enough to make sure that he was in our first run of shows because Woody Harrelson and Tobias Beckett is one of my absolute favorite things that has been added into Star Wars 
in the last four years in the Disney era. Wow. I absolutely love this character. I absolutely love this actor. I think he's absolutely incredible in pretty much every role he plays. Okay. And I think we are going to have a lot of fun talking about him. Okay, well. So, Mac, before we get yeah. into any of the details, what are your thoughts on Mr. Beckett? Uh, Beckett, I really, really liked. Beckett is everything that you... What's cool about Tobias Beckett that I like is he has the same vibes you want out of Han Solo, but in a slightly different cocktail. What I mean by that is what I like is he is also the hapless scoundrel who's sort of half falling backwards into success. Yes, except I think with one kind of key difference here, we see Beckett as someone who has a plan, as Mm -hmm. someone who goes in with an idea of what he wants to accomplish with a team and tries to accomplish it. And from what we see, he's pretty successful most of the time he tries to do this. Whereas with Han, it does feel a little bit more like he's kind of has that falling up sense, right? He just kind of keeps tripping over backwards into success. What well, do you what do you think about that? Do you think well, Beckett is a little bit more I think that I think and and I think on purpose. Beckett yeah. is Han Solo in Return of the Jedi if he had never found the rebellion. He's the character who just kept faking his way. I mean, we see some of that in Han Solo in Force Awakens of like what happens when the con man's been playing the con too long. And Beckett is like right before you'd go that that far as like where we almost get the feeling Hansel is washed up in like Force Awakens. Because what I mean by the Beckett is thing is the first time we meet Beckett, we think he's a captain of the Imperial Army. Because it's like, like, Captain, what are we going to do? Do Where's your superior officer? You are my superior officer. <laughs> and then they all laugh because they realize he has the captain's bars on his stolen uniform. So we meet Beckett here on Mimban, which is what Mac is yep. describing, right? Han, as a mud trooper, is uh, having a bad day. Yeah. And Beckett and his crew are all, uh, they've all infiltrated the unit. They are essentially trying to steal an ATAT lander. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. A walker hauler or whatever, they, whatever slang they use. Yeah. So we meet them here. Han recognizes pretty quickly that they're not who they say they are. And he tries to confront them. This is sort of the first little bit of Beckett's character we get to see. Mm-hmm. Other than we see he can definitely handle himself. He's wielding two pistols. He is uh, leading this garrison because now he finds himself in charge uh, somehow. So as I say, he's got some Django Fett kind of moves there. Yeah, he, he likes the stylish points. I mean, there's he's, nothing he, wrong with that. He does that. blaster spinning, and yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> he also has guns that come apart and click together, and I really like that. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So, basically, Beckett leaves Han kind of for dead. Yep. You know, he, he basically turns him in, saying, oh, this guy's going to get us caught. In so a clever move, because we'll Han's him. trying to, like, big dog him and trying uh-huh. to get him to realize that, like, I've got you right where I want you. He's like... How do you? Mm-hmm. And the whole Lieutenant. time, Beckett knows exactly what he's doing. He never panics. He's smiling. He looks like he's having fun. He's just going with the flow. He knows how to handle himself. And that, I think, makes him really interesting. You can tell he has a history. Yep. You can tell he's established without being he's, told any of it. And he's he is in command of what he's doing. He's no amateur, right? He's yes. been at this a really long time. And you can tell by just, again... 
when he gets counter moved, he counters back very quickly. He's always sort of like, he's always looking for the exit. He always can see kind of a way out of a situation. Absolutely. So uh, Han goes off, meets Chewbacca. Beckett and his team with Val and Rio are successful in getting their lander. And as they're taking off, they decide, oh, we could use a little more muscle. We could use a little more help. But And Beckett begrudgingly agrees to that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Against Val's wishes, he uh, he listens to Rio and decides that, no, I think it'll be worth bringing them along. Yeah, and he brings them on, on to the crew. Yes. So, this is my favorite scene, probably, that we have with Becca coming up after Han and Chewie have their uh, intimate shower scene together. We arrive on <laughs> Vandor, and we have this great little moment, just maybe 90 seconds of these characters around a campfire, yep. learning about each other. So, we establish Val and Beckett's relationship here. We uh, kind of learn that he's from Glean Selm. Little talk about uh, learning the Valacord, right? But the basically, Valacord, we realize yeah. that Beckett is not necessarily a bad guy. And, you know, we're getting those same vibes, like you said. We well, get now from it's Han. time to see him. We've seen him as a, a scoundrel and a con man. Now mm-hmm. it's time to see him with a, ca- a scoundrel and a con man with a heart of gold. Yeah, who is this guy really? And this is a guy who just is trying to make his way in the universe. Like yep. everybody else, trying to be successful. This is the third pillar of Star Wars, in yeah. my opinion. Is is Star Wars has you've got the good guys, you've got the bad guys, and Star Wars for its entire run has always had a healthy little gray section between those two. Mm-hmm. For as for as much as people say it's you know Saturday morning cartoons like the good guys are always wearing white hats, the mm-hmm. bad guys are wearing black hats. Mm-hmm. Star Wars has always said that there's an ugly gray in the middle that most people actually live in, and. You know, you saw that with characters like Han Solo to begin with, or Greedo, or, um, you know, you saw that with, like, basically everyone at the Tatooine Cantina. (laughs) Um, That, like, you know, again, there's a guy who gets into a fight because he has a death system, his arm gets cut off, and then everyone at the bar goes, huh, and turns back to what they were doing. There's, There's just this realistic real world ambivalence towards some of the good and evil going on in the galaxy. Yeah. It's just accepted. Right. And and this is nice because you get to see that Beckett is one of those ones who's definitely not a good guy, but definitely not a bad guy either. Yeah. He, it, it's clear he's earned trust from people. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got Rio, he's got Val, he's got this obvious relationship with Val. And oh, yeah. I feel that they are very much together uh, oh yeah, in love. You know, whatever, however you want to describe it, in whatever relationship they can have in the life they've chosen. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's just well, we're both here, and the other options, this weird four-armed alien guy. We, so you know, we've got we, what we've got. It yeah, doesn't feel like the, that. I, I guess the best way to put it is because they're like got this Bonnie and Clyde kind of we're we're yeah. a crew kind of feel. I feel it's one of those things of like they're as married as people like them could be. You can tell that yes. they both have lost money or got in in trouble for each other absolutely absolutely now before we go any farther into their story or into beckett's story in solo because that's of course the first place we've ever seen tobias beckett is in solo so i guess if you haven't seen solo maybe you should watch that first but basically other than that beckett has only appeared in one place he's obviously never been in legends because he is a newer character correct uh he has had a one-shot marvel comic meaning a single issue oh okay uh called beckett 
And basically, there's not a whole lot that happens, but I do own it, and I did read it again earlier today to refresh myself. Basically, it sets up that Rio, Val, and Tobias Beckett are a team. They pull different jobs together, different cons, different stunts. Uh, they have worked for... Uh, uh, oh my gosh, what is his name? Dryden, Dryden Voss. Voss. Yeah, why could I not think of Dryden Voss? They have worked for Voss before. Mm-hmm. They uh, show their first encounter with Enfys Nest in this comic oh, book, okay. which is really, I think, its best part. Basically, a heist goes wrong. Nest comes to take some of the things that Beckett had stolen for Dryden Voss. Uh, Beckett decides, no, I'm not going to let her get, him, get them. It blows up the ship. Blows up the items that they had stolen. Sure. Has a chance to kill Enfys, decides to let her leave. And oh, that's where we get those okay. lines later on about you should have taken care of this when Voss is talking to Beckett. You okay. know, basically saying there is a history here. The comic book just establishes a little bit of that history. Sure. Uh, we learned that, you know, like I said, he was born on Glian Salm. Uh but yeah, it's not a whole lot. I mean, it is only an issue. You can only fit so much story into an issue of a comic. But yeah. if you're a Beckett fan like fan like I am, it is definitely <laughs> worth uh, a quick read. The art's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it ta- it it you know the characters don't seem too much younger or too much different than they do in Solo. It does feel like it's a pretty much eh, immediate predecessor to his character in Solo, and that makes sense. So he's he's got that you in that comic book you're saying he establishes sort of the fact that he's maybe just a hair too soft to be doing the jobs he does yeah sometimes he he does what he has to do there's no doubt about it no no he's a professional yeah but sometimes he maybe makes decisions he regrets he's not i think we'll see some of that later with han yeah well i was gonna say that's kind of the interesting thing about it is for for solo beckett is the scoundrel that han's going to model himself off of right absolutely and this is a pattern we've seen in star wars before where you saw you know, Yoda goes to Dooku, who goes to Qui-Gon, who goes to Obi-Wan, who goes to Anakin. You can kind of see the watering down of like the, you know, Yoda is incredibly wise and Dooku is a little less wise. He's gone to the dark side, but he's definitely a lot more wizened and and, and, and wise. And then Qui-Gon does that, but he's a rogue. And then basically Obi-Wan only picked up the rogue parts of that. And Anakin is Anakin. Like, I like that we see these sort of, if you will, families of how characters beget other characters. Yeah. I mean, this is the character who essentially makes Han into who he is. Yes. I mean, that's the point of this character. That's why he's in Solo. That's why this character was written. That's why he exists. This character turns Han into Han. The kid we meet, Han, when we meet him, Han Corellia, is not the same character he is at the end of Solo, at the beginning of A New Hope. He is a different person. No, he's Han Solo starts out as in, in... Canon now as a very like Oliver Twist. He's a he's a street urchin. He has grown up on the streets. He knows how to run scams. He knows how to run run graphs. But he has no style, and he really only does it out of survival. There isn't any understanding really what he's doing. He's just going from you know problem to problem to problem. Yeah. What does um, he say? I'm a flyer and I'm a driver. Yeah. I like that line. That's good. Um. And back in the present of our, our retelling of Solo, this is yeah. where we see probably the most I think obvious like in case someone had had missed it tobias beckett 
is what Han Solo could be because Tobias Beckett, like you said, takes the clicky parts off of his carbide, strips it down to just the actual firing mechanisms, which is stripped down to a pistol, a heavy blaster pistol, mm-hmm. a DL-44 to be specific. I love that. I love that we learn some history of Han's weapon. Yep. We learn why it's important to him. We learn that it's more than just a gun. It's more than just what he uses. It has some f- sentimental well, value. And again, for for someone in canon, it was kind of nice to finally have some explanations that this was this is basically a chopped down carbide. That's why he has a pistol with a scope, which is not something you usually yeah, would you typically have. won't have that. Right. Right. So, OK, so we have this great moment between the crew and Han and Chewie. Han gets his signature weapon. And all of a sudden we're in the best train heist in Star Wars. So we see Beckett. He's got these awesome goggles on. He's on the mm-hmm. top of a train. He's shooting. He's climbing. Well, we he's doing see, all of these great things. We see those traits of he has been in fights. He's still got yes. that style, finesse. And we also see him being very effective, just taking people out of Infus Nest's gang. We also see, again, that planning where he like he's like, crap, when she shows up and he like quickly just maneuvers, rips up this door from the top of the train and turns into a makeshift like cover. Like, yeah, you can just see how, again, he's <laughs> not smart enough to see the three moves ahead that FSNS is going to come, but he sees the, at least the next move ahead to what to do in response. Yes. Now we have the whole Vandor heist scene. I'm sure sometime we'll talk just about this that. heist because I absolutely love it. But basically we can speed ahead. He fights Enfys Nest. I don't really want to say there's a winner, but essentially... They both lose. The, no one gets the prize. Yeah. So the whole and point for at least for Beckett's arc of the Vandor heist is not only to help Han grow, but also to change Beckett's character when Val dies. Yes. Basically sacrificing herself to try and make the mission successful. Right. Now, what I really want to ask you, Mac, is. Yeah. Does Beckett's character change after Val's death? Do you feel there's a shift in his personality, what he's willing to do? Sort of. I I think what I see there is I think that Beckett's personality comes out. I think Beckett was probably a very dumb young man like Han was. And I think that's why Beckett sees some of himself in Han. That's Mm -hmm. why he gives him the gun Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think Val was this huge influence on leveling him out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once she's gone, he's not only just distraught and frustrated by that, he's a little bit uncaged. He's way less focused and he doesn't, he's back to being like Han was, which is the scam went bad. I need a new scam to fix the old scam. Yeah. So Beckett, we see Beckett. He basically hits on, you know, why didn't you listen to me? You got to follow the orders. And then all of a sudden, well, you know what, no, Han, I'm going to continue to protect you. It's what's right. He's still trying to do the right thing here. And I feel that that's sort of... So I feel that that underneath all of that, the stuff of the campfire about like he's going to go learn and play that ballet corps after this, they're going to retire, I think is far more genuine and far more legitimately planned. This heist is so big and it is so planned for them. Mm-hmm, I mean, they've mm-hmm. already done... It's already two stages. They had to steal... Three stages. They had to steal uniforms to get a chance to get an AT hauler so they could even attempt this heist. Yeah. So this is not a fly by your seat of your pants scheme. 
this is a heist and a plot that has been going for a long time. And I really do think they think are all going to be this payout. So yeah. I think that is why he beats the crap out of Han at first is he's lamenting that door that just slammed shut mm-hmm. of him mm-hmm. having a happy ending. Right. And I think the sobering moment of realizing like, no, there, there is no happy ending. I'm going to probably see Voss and he's going to kill me at yeah. best. I'm going to have a chance to delay when he kills me. Yeah. And I think that's when he goes and kind of the better part of his mind, Val and all that stuff reminds him of like, no, there's no reason for this kid to get killed. He's an idiot, but he's not, he shouldn't die for what he did. Right. And that's what I love about that. You're in this life for good line. He's not only talking to Han and that's obviously who it's delivered to, but to a certain extent, he's now saying I'm in this life for good. You know, my out has been taken away. Yeah. I am now pretty much in this, you know, not that he wasn't in for the majority of his life, but he saw an end game and it looks like he's not going to have that anymore. And I think that's heavily implied and foreshadowed by that line as well. Yeah. Very good. So we move on. Beckett goes to meet with Voss, takes Han and Chewie with him. We're learning a little bit more about Beckett. Basically, he just wants to survive. So they go with Kira, with Han, with Chewie. Yep to find a pilot. And this is when we get our next sort of great little Beckett character moment coming up here. Okay. So we just say established wise, we realize that Beckett is really smooth. He's got enough class and knows enough people and he's been in the game long enough. He finds a way to get just enough leverage that Han and Kira can keep this mess going on. He does. But also a big part of that is Han, right? Han is the one develops the plan of, you know, get it, Get it unrefined. Get the coaxium that is not a finished Mm -hmm. product that the Empire controls. Go to the source. And I don't know if anyone else had thought of that. You know, it didn't. Beckett wasn't the one who brought it up. So while Beckett is the one who takes that raw plan and molds it into something that can actually be done, him and Kira, it wouldn't have happened without Han. You know, Beckett could have been dead right there in that estate room. Right. And that endears. Beckett treats Han far He's starting that long road to like ever since the line of you're in the for life, he's becoming more of a mentor and he yes. fully, fully accepts it when they go from that moment. I, I would agree with that. So we arrive at the bar where the card game happens between Lando and Han. Not going to get into that right now because I can spend a lot of time talking about Mr. Therm Scissor Punch. Therm Scissor Punch. We will come back to that later. We'll come back to Uh it. So we get to the bar. Han, Lando, Kira are debating about what they need. And all of a sudden Beckett is there. Lando turns around and right away knows who he is, which also lets us know this is a man to be respected before Lando says his line, which do you remember what that is? Um, this is one of the best little Easter eggs in the entire film. I try to remember. He, 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 I know his whole thing is he gets defensive and he basically says, Beckett, I thought we smoothed over that whole, right? Well, what I'm referring to specifically okay. is Beckett's character of killing Aura Singh. Right. Remember? You're the so, man. Yeah, that's right. You're the man who killed Aura Singh. Yeah. I pushed her. I like to think the fall killed her. <laughs> Yes. Right? Yes. I'm so, sorry. I think the line I'm thinking of is Lando to Kira. I think yeah, is, is yeah. No, to... all good, all good. I kind of threw you under the bus there. Oh, See no, that's your... okay. I probably watched it much more recently. Yeah. But anyway, I love that because as someone who grew up in the prequel era, 
You know, there were books and stories and especially children's novels, you know, that featured Boba Fett, Nora Singh. And then we got her more in the Clone Wars and established more of her character. And just to have that little connection to the universe, that's there specifically for Star Wars fans. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to pull back on a point just because this reminds me of what I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I think while Beckett is more competent, I think Beckett has also floundered his way through life. That like some of it's charm and luck, some of it's planning, but he's never built enough luck to get out of this game. He's never become a boss. He's never become he's an infamous person, but he is not established in the way that he would love to be. He's not really a power player so much as he's a, a very tool. In, he's an interesting figure in yeah. the mix. Cause when he said that I pushed her, you know, the I think like the fall killer. All I'm thinking of, like, and that's exactly how people will describe how Han Solo killed Boba Fett. <laughs> Not that he was a blind man who accidentally hit his backpack, he hit a wall and fell into a starlight pit. No, Han Solo, that's the man that killed Boba Fett, the most <laughs> infinite valley hunter in the whole world. Yeah, I heard him just, he took him out with his bare hands, maybe just a stick. Right? And I go, like... From a certain point of view, Mac. Well, but my thing with Aura Singh is, I don't think Beckett has established himself as just an ice-cold killer. So I feel that it was... Aura Singh was sent after him for something. There was a tussle. She fell off a bridge. He went, huh. And it worked out well for him. And, of course, he's a good smuggler who knows a good story. And so he owns that in the way he does. Even that line is, like, him... Taking full credit for it, but not actually admitting he killed her. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel that. And then the whole thing where he is screaming at Han earlier about the fact of like, you idiot, we needed all that. Well, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Like, yeah, we lost it, but we'll get another big sport. You don't understand. We weren't stealing that for us. We already were in debt to someone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. the whole time you think it's just for themselves. And then you find that, no, Drayden Voss, that... They're getting out from a debt. They're not getting into money. They're getting out from a debt. Yeah. Reminds me of later Han Solo. Absolutely. And also with Beckett here, what I love about this next bit too, not only do we get that Aura Sing tidbit, but he talks down Lando, the most yeah. smooth talking cool guy we know. Lando's intimidated by him and he goes yep. along with what he says. And we have that great moment a few minutes later in the shipyard when Beckett has to remove the, uh, we'll call it the space boot. From the Falcon, you know, for another cut off another little bit and uh, he'll be able to do it. And again, establishing that Beckett is smart as well, Uh because he obviously knows enough slicing to get that thing off. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Beckett is capable and capable characters are always interesting. And then we see the other side of him, the side that Han doesn't really pick up as we start foreshadowing as they're walking around inside the Falcon, getting established and getting ready to leave. Yeah. Beckett starts giving Han some advice he should but will not follow he's talking about Kira he's talking about how he doesn't know her he's like well maybe I know her better than you think maybe you don't know her enough (laughs) and just is kind of just breaking down the cynicism that Beckett is carrying around with him at all times which we only saw dulled when he was around Val absolutely so the thing about Beckett is he has seen things I mean, at the end of the day, that's the thing. He's an older character. He's a character who's been through stuff that's proven (laughs) in the movie. They give us enough tidbits to make it clear. He's a man who's seen been to one side of the galaxy and all the way to the (laughs) other, but he's never seen anything that tells him there's some 
all binding force pulling it all together like he's he's a realist he's a painful painful realist you know do you think Beckett believes in the force I mean he he had to have he was around during the age of the Jedi the age of the Republic well I still someday we'll get that episode open too but like yeah I feel that everyone in the galaxy by the time of the Clone Wars Jedi were boogeymen Jedi were like if I told you, oh, they're CIA hitmen, like you could intellectually believe they exist, but you could never imagine meeting one or knowing what that life is like outside of like action movies. Right. So you might see on the holovids like, oh, the Jedi are storming on Mustafar or whatever. Like, right. but you would never not Mustafar, but, you know, you never think of them as beings you could meet, understand or know. Right. They're stories. They're legends. Right. And, yeah. and so even the people in living memory who remember them existing it was easy for the Empire to say they were all turncoats. Yeah, it was, well, propaganda, right? Propaganda yeah. is a powerful tool. Okay, so the next moment we have a Beckett is basically arriving to steal the coaxium, Yep. right? And we see him in a pretty cool outfit here, an outfit change for Woody Harrelson. Again, upstaging Lando yet again by wearing his clothes first. I love it. I well, a, maybe Lando had it in the ship. Maybe Lando was wearing it around first. Maybe, maybe that could be it. it it's weird to think that that same outfit has been on that Falcon for, you know, 20 years or whatever it is. But at the same time, well, wait, wait, wait. quick aside from a that, perfectly good disguise. You also in Solo see that Millennium Falcon and you know that there's no universe. Han made it into a trailer, a dump. He totally did. The idea of that sitting around in a cargo bay the whole time. Doesn't surprise me at all. That ship was pristine white. What did he do to it in not even 20? Well, I guess 20 years. No, not even 20 years. This is when. Well, it's 10 years. Solo ends 10 years before A New Hope. That means that Han Solo turned that beautiful ship. We know how the outside gets damaged, but he turns the inside into trash in like 12 years. Yeah, I, I think Puffer Pigs. It's Puffer Pigs be, would right? do that. What else could oh be Oh my that God, dirty? what if that was just a thing of like, why is it all yellowed? Well, we carried some gas and it leaked. <laughs> but I was going to say, I do like the idea that yeah. in Return of the Jedi, Lando is looking through a thing and just goes, oh, oh, I remember these. Huh. I wonder if they still fit. This will be perfect for the mission. <laughs> but Beckett is wearing that uniform yep. and is yep. doing a great job of following or working with Kira, like playing off of her to get this this whole thing to go. In fact, I love the fact that when she goes in for the private negotiations, he fully comes around to like open the door and like, Oh, you probably need some help. Dang. You, you don't need any help. You, you do have this. Okay. Yeah. We see him as a, another, a weapons expert here, taking out soldiers, taking out droids. You know, he, I don't want to use the word infallible because he was, partially responsible for Val's death and the failed mission. And so I'm not saying that, but he is a character who, like we said at the beginning is successful. Yeah. And storytelling, we call it hyper competence. Like okay. he doesn't make yeah. mistakes in the things we've established. He's good at. And yes. Like, and I like that. Like he yeah. doesn't miss unless it's dramatically important that he misses yes. that kind of stuff. Yes. Very fair. Okay. So we get off of castle. Yep, we, we leave we, the pikes behind. We have the shipment. We have a great big fight at the base of the Falcon. We get that incredible shot of people going up the ramp of the Falcon, which we had never really seen from the inside like that before. Yep. And then we take off and we're in trouble. 
So Beckett has a very important responsibility here to help get the Falcon and its crew out of the Maw. He takes a little bit of the Rocco Axiom and puts it into Injects the it directly hyperdrive, into hyperdrive, right? Yep. Hyperdrive, right? Because they say they have a big moment about, well, we can't put it in the fuel lines. That'll blow us up. But then they say, well, if we put it directly into the hyperdrive, we can Yeah, we, we get the idea work, that right? hyperfuel, which is what fuels... Yeah. In theory, all the stuff on a starship, but definitely the hyperdrive. We get the idea that, like, this is like dumping nitrous into it. It's going to probably permanently damage the engine, but it's going to give it a lot of kick. And it's great seeing Beckett, like, tool pull what is probably a medical tool. That's what and it looked like, right? To yeah. draw blood or, yeah. Yeah, he's literally, yeah. like, like like yeah, like drawing from a plasma bag. He's drawing the coaxial up, and then he's, like, gingerly trying to run down the hallway as it's shaking to yeah. try and put it in the drive. I love it because you can tell... This is where Woody's acting really comes through, I feel like. Yeah. This is a great scene for him. His facial expressions, the way he's shouting over the communicators to the cockpit. Yep. It's just, he doesn't get a ton of great... Well, I don't want to say he doesn't get a ton of great moments as a secondary character, because he has some great moments around the fire, and at the bar, and now on the Falcon. Well, I think what you're saying is, he's a fairly stoic character. He doesn't yeah. change a lot during the movie. His his moods are like as written, he's basically the same character through the whole ride. It's Woody who's giving it all this nuance yes. and all this little little beats of like hesitation when he says stuff of like, oh, there's a gravity to that that line he's saying that we don't see directly, but we we can infer, oh, he's speaking from experience. Right? Absolutely. And you see that like he's running around with the, the coaxial and he's definitely <laughs> been in a situation at least this dumb before. <laughs> he, he's used to stress. He's used to operating yes. under pressure. Okay. So we make it out of the maw, you know. Yep. Uh we arrive to have the coaxium processed. Yep. And Beckett says, you know what? I'm out. I, I can't go against Voss. I'm just going to walk away, hope that I can retire in peace and no one will bother me. Yeah, because Ness shows up again, one-upping up, him again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And this time, the, the the play is the fact we find F.S. Ness is basically one of the cells that's going to become the Rebellion. And so suddenly, everyone who's seen a Star Wars movie is suddenly on F.S. Ness's side. And the goody-goody that is Han has also decided, like, now these people have been hurt and betrayed the Crimson Dawn's garbage. We we can't give this to them. They'll use it just to enslave and harm and hurt. And Beckett, you could see, is like, yeah, I understand that, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Beckett hatches a plan of his own. Yes. And this is where he becomes the quote unquote bad guy of the final act. Now, that's a maybe not the best way to put it because you still have Dryden Voss as the antagonist, as the person yes. who's going against our heroes. But Beckett becomes an interesting foil in the plan here. So basically, Han and Kira take the coaxium to Dryden Voss in his uh, floating penthouse ship. I think it's called the Far Horizon or something like that. It's got oh, a really good name. I think it's the... It's either the far horizon or the vertical horizon or something like that. All right, ship expert, you you let us know. Okay? I love it. It's a skyscraper. It is really a good design. What a great movie. Anyway. And so Star Wars. Like, does that make physical sense? <laughs> Who cares? That's not the point. If we can make a B-wing work, we well, can make anything Once work. you have repulsor lifts, everything works. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay, so we just need to get on that here in this world. Right, and you see yeah. Voss, like, dress solo down, just say, 
this is all bullcrap. Uh, you're you're lying to me. You know, mm-hmm. I would almost believe this is the real stuff. It is the real stuff. Stuff. Well, I know it's not because I know where the real stuff is because I had a friend and Beckett comes in revealing the fact that he went to Voss first and betrayed Han. Yeah. And Basically w- looking out for himself here. And this is where we see that kind of what Han Solo becomes. This is, you know, where Han Solo's character arc splits, basically. So when we meet Han, Han feels like he has evolved into what Beckett is. The difference is Beckett follows the dark side path or, you know, the path opposite our hero. Beckett Beckett looks out for himself. He takes the raw, you know, or he takes the process material with Chewbacca and leaves. Now, Han catches up. Right, because that's yep. really all we see of Beckett in that bit. So we're not going to talk about the whole fight between Dryden well, and Han. And the Kira. one last thing I'll mention yeah. is this is where Beckett proves that he'll never get out. He is that cynical. He can never leave. He can never stop looking over his back because he goes with Voss on this because he doesn't see any other way. Like the idea of Nimbus Ness getting away and him getting away from Voss is impossible. So he has to go to Voss. That's what he has to do. Yeah, and which is interesting here because he feels he has to go to him. He has to get him on his side, but then he betrays him. You yeah. know, he he takes the quaxium and leaves. And I think we see a lot of those same moves from Han later on. Well, I feel that this is basically Han's moment where he's loading up the money in New Hope. And he's, I got to go pay off Jabba. That's it. I don't care about your war or your rebellion. Yep. Except for the fact that Han does care and he does do the right thing yeah and that's what i'm talking about when i say the characters have a split here yeah what happens with beckett is he chooses the wrong path and he pays for it right right han chooses to come back to help his friends to stick with to do the right he believes in to do the right thing and han helps blow up a death star beckett is dead on a beach Yes, because right. Beckett ends up living out his whole life with that looking over your shoulder yeah. scoundrel life. He he could never stop being a criminal, and so he basically dies as a criminal. But he has a great death. He has a great death teaching Han a final lesson, which I really like. Because even at the end, yes. even though I fully believe that he's about to shoot Han, I fully believe that Han knows he's about to kill him. Yeah, They have this moment, you know, I hope you were paying attention. I'm going to teach you one more thing, paraphrasing here. But yep. basically, in the middle of his speech, Han just shoots. Han shot first. And absolutely, Han only shot. Just like in A New Hope, only Han shot. Just like in Solo, only Han shot. Not first, only. But I digress. So, Beckett has this sort of dying moment thing to say to Han. Han rushes over, basically implying that, hey, I didn't want to have to kill you. I had to, unfortunately. Well, again, it but, wasn't personal. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was to survive. It was to survive. And so uh, Beckett basically and says... That, and I think the big thing, Han gets the view of like seeing that Beckett could never leave and that this is exactly where Han will go if he doesn't believe in something more than the next heist, the next money, the, 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 if he stays in that life only to make the next score. See, I don't know if I agree with that because Han goes on to 
do the next score, to do the next job, his very next thing oh, he no, does. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying Han's ready for that lesson. I'm just saying, like, there's a part of my brain that when you see these great recuts where, mm-hmm. like, you know, Obi-Wan's talking about, like, he was twisted and turned by evil, but then you see it cut with episode three. Yeah. There's this gravity to it. I feel that's what Han's doing is, like, when Luke says... Says, I guess you're just going to take the money and run. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, pay off my debts. I got a lot of reasons for this money. Well, why don't you take care of yourself? That's what you're good at. I feel that inside Han's brain, there's a dead Tobias Beckett as he's holding his arm as this this broken old scoundrel is going like, I really was going to learn that Balakor. And Han's like, oh, God, I, I fell into the exact mistake I was told not to. Yeah. And that's. The purpose of a prequel, isn't it? When you're really looking at it, a prequel, while it should be a great story on its own, is to help establish history. You know, I heard someone, they they were actually talking about the Star Wars prequel, but I think it applies even to Solo, which is its own Star Wars prequel. But is the idea of the reason people don't like prequels is because you can't rewrite history, right? Right. You can't change anything. But a good prequel deepens the shadows and brightens the bright spots. And I feel that that's exactly what Solo, for us, we both really enjoyed Solo, did is it doesn't change anything. And I agree with people who say that story didn't need to be told. I'm like, yes. And technically all fiction doesn't need to exist. But <laughs> like, I agree that it doesn't necessarily be, be told. We could have inferred all that. But it does the right job of it gives an emotional depth and an emotional high to some of the things we know about Han Solo later in life. And a lot of that comes from Beckett, who is everything Han Solo, we don't want him to turn into. Mm-hmm. We want him to look at Beckett and learn what Beckett already knew his entire life, which is he doesn't want to be this guy anymore, but he can't get out. And we want Han Solo to learn that lesson and get out earlier. And to a certain extent, he will. He will. <laughs> but that is a story I think we'll talk about another time. Mac, do you have anything else you'd like to add about Beckett? I want, the last thing I want to say is I was finally happy to see a Star Wars character who's not an Endor parka in a like traditional Western like duster. Yes. I love his jacket and his gunslinging because one of my favorite aspects about Star Wars is the space Western. Absolutely. And Beckett's character design does such a good job mm-hmm. of establishing that gunslinger outlaw. Absolutely. It is a stereotype, a type of character you've seen before. You've seen it. A dozen times, times, yep. But you you don't really see it in Star Wars, even though Star Wars has a ton of that feel. Sure. We're getting a lot more of it now. Coming we, up. we are, yes. But Beckett is a mentor. He's interesting. He's wise. He takes so many interesting character traits yes. that you're generally drawn to. Like me personally, I've always been attracted to the the wise character, the old character, the the fortune teller. You know, the, the person who has that sort of experience behind their eyes. Yeah. And Beckett is that character here, totally. the same way I love the Obi-Wan character, the same way I even love like the Count Dooku character, because you can tell he's had those life experiences. Yes. And it's it's that same sort of attraction I have to those characters here with Beckett. It's only improved by Woody Harrelson's fantastic acting, 
both in Star Wars and outside of it. Yes. And honestly, the only thing I really feel is lacking with Beckett is I want more. You know, I want a novel or I want, uh, well, I think a and show might be a little outside their own possibilities, but I want more on, Beckett. I think a novel would be good because, again, they establish enough of his backstory. We only see the crew on their last mission. You can tell they've been running with each other for a while. There's right. probably other people that have been part of this crew that have moved on. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh, there, absolutely. There's some fun crime stories to be heard about, you know, Beckett and Val's gang. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of story left to be told there. Hey, maybe one day we'll get it. Yeah. Marvel is not afraid to publish comics, so they can keep making stories, uh... And, and again, I think it's also one of those things, even though Solo did not do as well as people expected, I really haven't talked to a lot of people who said, like, it's a terrible movie and the new characters don't fit Star Wars. Like, Tobias Beckett is a quintessentially Star Warsian character. Yeah, I mean, the whole great. Solo movie is a quintessential Star Wars movie. I think Agreed. it feels more like Star Wars than any of the other Disney films, and I think a big part of that is due to Beckett. All right. All right, Mac. Well, now that we've spent some time talking about Tobias Beckett, he might not be your favorite space scoundrel, but I think he might be mine. Uh, <laughs> maybe the jury's still out on that one. We'll come back. But let's go ahead and take a quick break and then come right back for another segment. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Welcome back to another segment of Star Wars All In. Now we are going on to an iconic item, something that is found at every Star Wars convention, usually in the dozens, if not hundreds. It is perhaps <laughs> one of the most iconic items in Star Wars, definitely one of the most iconic items, outside, especially when you don't consider lightsabers. We are talking about the ultimate, quintessential, the AK-47 of space, the <laughs> E-11 blaster rifle. Hey, that's the blaster rifle that stormtroopers use, right? That is the standard issue stormtrooper rifle, yes. Okay, okay. Well, other than the uh, plastic toy I had of it in the mid-90s and uh, the tiny, tiny versions that came with my three and three-quarter scale action figures, yes, uh, I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that it shoots blue rings and causes princesses to fall over. Uh, I know that it can be used uh, to shoot red lasers to kill people. Yeah, definitely. You can shoot door handles with it or door controls. Uh, And beyond that, I don't know a whole lot about it. Now, I don't know if they've ever appeared on screen, but I'm pretty sure I read a a sequel that it does have another setting. So we know about stun, which is the blue rings. Mm -hmm. We know about kill, which is the red bolts. Yep. I'm pretty sure there's yellow ones called Sting. Okay, now what is Sting, Mac? Uh, So Sting is shown up once or twice in stuff I've read. And if I I don't, I don't remember where the name comes from, but the idea that it can do a non-lethal but painful setting. Mm -hmm. And I think it's mostly used for training. So like the rubber bullet equivalent? Yeah, exactly. Is that kind of what right, we're talking about right, here? Right, right, Yeah, it's it's not so nice as paintballs. Rubber bullet is a very good way of putting it. Okay. The okay. idea is it's meant to to harm, but not in a lethal way. Yeah, maybe to, uh, shall we say, uh, incapacitate, to uh, make it so you can't continue on. I think but the one I remember... You can still it, be captured, interrogated, maybe. Yeah, I think I, I think I could be wrong. I think the original reason I ever heard of Sting was, I think it was in 
Tales of the Moss Alley's Cantina it talks about Davin Felth, mm-hmm. and it's like a from the from the mass from the helmet level view of what life as a stormtrooper is. Okay. Now, I could be wrong, and it doesn't matter. That story is so super not can't. It's <laughs> it's it's not a legend. It's a myth at this point because once the Clone Wars were established, like that kind of stormtrooper doesn't make sense. And there's a whole yeah. bunch of reasons that story is wrong, but I'm pretty sure in training exercises, they're using it. And in fact, I think you see that that's kind of what the cadets are playing with in mm-hmm. um, rebels. When like you have, um, uh, Oh, what's the main kid from rebels? I can't remember his name. Ezra. Ah, uh, yeah. Where Ezra. Ezra inf- <laughs> yeah. When Ezra infiltrates the, uh, the Imperial Academy as a cadet yeah. and they're playing war games and stuff. Uh, I think okay. that's kind They're of what using we're about with Sting. There is what you're saying, okay? Right, and we know that Stun is completely and totally non-lethal. That's yes. why Princess Leia cold-bloodedly murders that guy because he says "set for Stun," and she just does not do the same and just murders him straight up. And then they knock her out very gently. Well, I mean, they were under order. They were under. They're good soldiers. What can you do? And admittedly, his friends stepped over his dead body like it didn't matter, like a good stormtrooper would. They'll be back for him. You got to complete the mission first. You know that like that Finn character is like, oh, I got blood on my mask and I'm conflicted about my existence. No, these are hardened troops. That's why they're in the fighting 501st with Vader. That's why they're so successful at uh, taking over the Tantive Four. Well, I know another reason for that success. Yeah. The amazing weapon is the E11 uh-huh, blaster that's rifle. Right. Okay. So, Mac, where else do we see the E11 in canon? Any other? Well, uh... For the most part, like I said, the E11 is the AK-47 of yeah. of the universe. It is such a established in universe to be a solid weapons platform mm-hmm. that it is the basis of many, many different weapons. Now, all right, get ready, Ross. We're going I'm ready. To I'm sitting town. back. I've got my drink. I'm ready to uh-huh. go. Okay. So the first thing is the E11 is based on a British. Um, rifle from world war ii like okay. most star wars stuff like the dl44 han solo's blaster is based on a mauser broom handle style machine pistol this okay. is based on a machine gun and the biggest thing about it was this was an early air-cooled rifle so what that means is it has that swiss cheesed like barrel mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. extra barrel out of it to cool the inner barrel gotcha which gives the e11 it's kind of look the 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 mm-hmm. barrel of it has those holes that perforation in it absolutely and the other thing it really borrows from that is the fact it has the magazine loads from the side yes most modern weapons you load it from the bottom this guy loads from the side which gives it kind of an interesting like like almost like a hand grip look yeah um and unlike the big like bent crescent that you would see in a world war ii machine pistol this just has a little stub coming out of the side yeah and that thing is um interestingly in canon it's based on the dc-15 which is the standard uh trooper rifle for the clone troopers but of course that's a backronym because the dc-15 looks like an e11 because the e11 is the stormtrooper blaster (laughs) so of course it has to go that route yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things about the E11 is we've barely seen it used the way it's described in stories. What I mean is everyone's using it in blaster carbide mode. What that means is you're holding it out like either like a very big pistol like Luke and Han do through most mm-hmm. of the Death Star chase. Mm-hmm. Or you see stormtroopers just sort of like holding it with one hand, like cradling it under and then holding it like a pistol, like supporting it like you would a very large pistol or a sh- holding it like a shotgun. Yeah. Well, on every version of that weapon, based on because it's based on this War II weapon, there's a collapsible stock on it. 
So there's a little L-shaped stock that should fold out back and you should be able to butt that into your shoulder and be able to hold it like a rifle, like like a a long rifle. rifle. Yeah, okay. And so in Star Wars, it's established that this thing actually has incredible range for how compact it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's often sort of described as no one used the butt of the stock and that's why stormtroopers miss all the time because they're using it wrong ah okay well well that's the first time i'm hearing this that's an interesting one well they talk about uh, the the rifle is actually really accurate and has a good range because that's what you would but, have in a main military uh, battle rifle all right well all right i guess we got to talk about it since you okay, brought it yeah, up yeah, sister. Stormtroopers do not have bad aim stormtroopers are incredibly effective we see them on the tantive four they get the job done very effectively. I was going right? to say, yes, you do. There see, is... Every time say, soldiers can't hit a barn door, I don't know, they murder that hallway real fast. Yeah, they're effective, right? <laughs> and then we get into the Death Star stuff. I mean, okay, so we're in Moss Eisley. I guess we see them there. Obi-Wan, you know, sends them away. But that's not... Let's just focus on things where they're shooting, right? Sure. So they're in the Death Star. They've been ordered to let these people go. There's a tracking device on their ship. They're not trying to hit them. They're not trying to catch the small fish. They're trying to use them to catch the biggest fish, which is an entire base, right? I've never heard this theory. That makes so... No, no, honestly, I've never heard that because I just figured that was a... Like, like Tarkin and Vader know that they're going to let them go. But I didn't realize that was like the general ship was aware of that. I mean, I would imagine, right? No, that makes so much more sense for because you're right. Because Every if other that time, was the case, like the why wouldn't they be using stun? That's true. And 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 the other thing about it is like you think about like Hoth. The next time we see stormtroopers running around killing people, and they kill uh, people real well, incredibly effective on Hoth. Absolutely, um, they do pretty darn good even against teddy bears. Like uh, Return of the Jedi is where you start going. Maybe stormtroopers do suck, but. Well, I okay, so if we look at just the Battle of Endor or the Fourth Moon of Endor, if we look at just that battle, yeah. For a long, long time, I was in the camp of how are these rocks that are being tossed from three feet away knocking out <laughs> stormtroopers? But then, you know, you start to really think about it. Just because those Ewoks look like they're moving slowly look like they're not very strong. They look pudgy like little people inside giant fur costumes. There are a lot of animals that don't look ferocious that can do some damage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I see what you're saying. Like, we're throwing that rock, but it's actually like it's being shot out of a gun. Exactly. Now, I mean, yes, we're giving some liberties here. We're making some assumptions. But at the end of the day, those Ewoks defeat those stormtroopers. I don't think that's a knock against stormtroopers. Per se. I just think those Ewoks are, you know, it, they're better at the guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Right. And the the there is a lot of history with Star Wars where the Empire represents, well, uh, you know, certain factions of uh, different governments, different armies, different wars. Right. Right. And I also think that in my mind, I always kind of hand waved a little bit of the Battle of Endor in the sense of like nothing that stormtroopers have done have trained them for these tactics. These are the these are the elite. Right. These are the hand-chosen troops from the Emperor. So, like, yeah. I always think of them. They're like the Coruscant Honor Guard. They've never been in the dirt ever. They have no idea to do with sticks. They're not riot cops. They're not used to dealing with, like, sticks and stones being thrown at them or hitting targets that are that small. Like, I assume that it, they just... It's like the British troops in the American Revolution. You just sort of broke their ranks. They didn't know what to do, so they scatter. Yeah. And I think that's a really good analogy. And also, remember, a lot of Ewoks die. Oh, 
The E11 takes out a lot of Ewoks. Yeah. So I I have always been... A, now, we're not talking about clone troopers. We're yep. not talking about for, First Order troopers who all use slightly different versions of this same weapon. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Age of Rebellion, yes. Empire Era Stormtroopers. Original trilogy Stormtroopers. I will make the argument that they are incredibly successful when using their E-11 blaster when well, they're meant to be. They must be, because as Obi-Wan, a wise man who would never lie to us, except about Anakin's de- death, <laughs> would never lie to us, says, look at these finer points, too accurate for sand people. Accurate. <laughs> too accurate. I love it. You're absolutely right. So, You're I mean, that establishes right. in-world that obviously it must be that way. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think... The stormtroopers are professionals. They get the work done. And as you said, the AK-47 of, uh, of space, it's reliable, and, it's inexpensive, and, and it works. And let's also just add one note I want to say about it is, and it is probably the most common weapon found in Star Wars. Whether it's the Fighting 501st, the mm-hmm. cosplayers with the gazillions of, of those examples that exist, whether it's in video games, where just about every video game that has a blaster rifle in it, it's the E11. Yep. Um, and like I said, it's one of those things that's interesting because it's all around used all the time. Because like I said, the Death Star chase, Luke and Han are firing it all the time. Like it is just this reliable weapon that is at the core of uh, the visual vocabulary of what a blaster is. Yes. Um. And again, I find it really funny that every time you look at it, you will never not see the fact that there is totally a collapsible stock that has never been used in, as far as I know, any media of Star Wars outside of like words in like novels. Well, hey, if you know of any visual moment where a stormtrooper has used the stock on their E11, uh, let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and uh, tell us where to find that because we uh, can look that up. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite ray guns of all time in all of science fiction. And uh, glad we were able to give a little bit of a nod. Unfortunately, it's not so much to talk about because it's just like everyone knows it in a weird way. This is one of the few <laughs> things that everybody knows. I, You know what? I like the versatility of it. I think that's really, really neat to have the idea that this laser weapon can change what it's doing in these different ways it's not just how much power is it putting out it's not just how many rounds a second it's well we've got these different settings here and each one's used for a different scenario i like that idea of Mm -hmm. that versatility yeah very cool very cool all right well with that we'll 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 lay to rest our e11 blasters (laughs) here on the field of battle till future weapons will... there, there's one or two more weapons we'll get to talk about that i'm sure the e11 will come up again in the future i'm sure because i want to talk about the dc i want to talk about the dc 15 and the dc 15m and the dc 15r uh, and a whole bunch of and the uh, dc 15s and, the, and and we'll uh-huh uh-huh sure all weapons i believe you until then see you next time Raptor's got to lose. Wait, what? Did you just say Raptors? Hey! You're not hauling Raptors on this freighter, are you? I'm hauling Raptors. This was a mistake! Huge! <laughs>
Welcome back to Star Wars All In. This is Ross here, and now we are going to talk about everybody's favorite tentacle ball hentai monsters, the Raftars. Yes, the living garbage disposal that is. Now, Mac, we've seen the Raftars only once in Star Wars films, and that's Episode 7, The Force Awakens, when we find out what Han Solo has been doing all this time without the Falcon. Well, he's been hauling Raftars. King Prada needs some of them, and he's the man for the job. That's right. He uh, has been given the task, given the money to hunt down these Raftars, used his crew to get them onto the ship, and now we are about to get a little bit of Raftar history from Finn, talking about the... Trillia Massacre. Now, that's not something that you missed. That's not in another episode of Star Wars and you've forgotten about it. That is something that is just a little bit of backstory to let you know that these things are dangerous. And basically, that's all we know about them going in. Finn tells Rey, hey, these things are not good. Uh, he is shocked when Han says there are Rathars on the ship. And that's basically you all we get. Rathars on the ship? <laughs> So we get into the hallway scene. We have Balak T and we have the Guavian death gang and all this awesome stuff happening. And all of a sudden Han is BB-8 are in trouble. So Ray decides to let Release. the Rathars loose. So Release the Rathars. We see, we see these giant reddish bluish. Just, yeah. They're, they're like, they're, they're magenta. Uh, I, I, you know, like, I, what I would think of a heart would look like if yeah, I didn't see a picture a, of it, you know, it's got a, like the teeth. It's got a like inside your body meaty kind of slick look to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like a pile of muscle and blubber. I mean, it, it looks no, I like think, a, I think you're, you're right. A heart where you can see it's a muscle, but it's also got these weirdly smooth pieces yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. So Rathars have all these tentacles and these teeth and these sort of yellow... I things I, I feel very much someone just decided to make the take the um take the sarlacc and let it move and then just bathed it in blood <laughs> I don't think you're far off there I mean because the Rathars basically cause a bloodbath I, yeah I mean that's essentially what happens but before we get into that little bit of film let's do a little bit of Rathar history because there's not much okay so Rathars generally found in swamp habitats. Uh, the Rathars that we are seeing here are essentially dwarf Rathars. They're not dwarf? quite, not oh, quite uh, the only version that's out there, but we haven't really seen much else from them. Um, they are native to Tuan Kati, okay. the planet where they're from. And huh. one thing I found really interesting about them is they breed by fission. Meaning they literally, like cells, just separate and new ones are created from old. So oh. you have these giant balls of death that are just multiplying like gremlins, I assume. Well, yeah, they, they, they like probably do the budding kind of thing. There's just like there's a wart on it one day and then like four days later, it's another rat. It's a baby rat. Yeah. And uh, these things are gross. They're efficient. They hunt in packs. I mean, they even took out Conjure Club. Oh, they do. And effectively, too. Ugh. They are uh, they are deadly. They are quick. They're, well, and they're... The whole thing is, they're like I said, their mouths are garbage disposable. They're like these like continually like agitating spirals of yep. teeth. Mm -hmm. And it's like a shark where it's got like like a hundred rows of teeth. <laughs> 
So, Mac, when you first saw that Rathtar, episode yeah. seven, I was there with you. Yes. We had just sat through six other Star Wars movies in a theater for we close did. to 24 hours. So we were watching this together for the first time. We're both excited. We're both tired. It's basically after what I would describe as an incredible first act. Yes. This is kind of where the second act starts here in The Force Awakens. We meet Han and... We've got Rattars. So when you saw well, that Rattar, you heard that scream, that door opened, the tentacles come out. What did you think? Um, I was far more terrified from it because I think the only thing we get an impression of what they're going to be is I think, do we see a tentacle against the glass? Did that happen before or was it like, is something oh, butts up against yeah, the teeth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's the teeth but or the eyes. We didn't Maybe really see it. It was more like, a, I think, like just hot air, right? Maybe it kind was. Kind of blowing up against I it. I know that when I heard the word Rathtar, my brain thought dinosaur, like a raptor. Like, yeah. my brain definitely went of, oh, this is going to be some bipedal, like, this is going to be more like the scene from Alien, especially with the corridor I, we're in. I definitely, in a hundred guesses, did not think giant rolling ball of teeth with tentacles. No, I no. I'll tell you that. So when that rolls out, and then it moves... Rathtars are not slow at all. No, you would think they would be. Like, you would think that would be their one disadvantage. But no. (laughs) And I think the funniest thing about it is I'm like, and the one thing I I, I think that Han Solo is the bravest man in the galaxy because I feel that the natural hunting grounds of the Rathtar are corridors. I feel like if this thing was out in the middle of a plane, it wouldn't be nearly as scary. (laughs) Well, they hunt in packs. So what I want to know is... They also... Fill this corridor. That's There's right. like There's no three way around feet it. of like triangle space in the corners, and that's it. <laughs> so you, <laughs> okay. So you have these raptors. Yes, they're straight up terrifying. You're seeing them on screen. Horrifying. How do you stop a raptor? Uh, you have a raptor rolling. You know, the at fun you. question is, we don't know because they do not in this. <laughs> the only way to stop a raptor apparently is to have it on the front of your ship when you go into hyperspace. Is to push it through hyperspace so yeah. it dissolves. Apparently, that's the only way because blasters don't seem to be doing anything. Uh, a door can cut off its tentacle, but how efficient is that to kill well, raptors? Okay, I'm going to go on a limb. We're going to use some other other movie knowledge. <laughs> I okay. think you need to throw an explosive inside its maw. Oh, we get a thermal detonator in the mouth and that Raftar's going down. Correct. I think this is a tremors situation. How do you deal with a Graveloid? You do you do explosives on the chewy insides. Did you know that they kept making Tremors movies after the first two or three? I am terrified of the fact that uh-huh. there are probably more. There is a uh, Jamie Kennedy Western Tremors. Just want you to well, know. Well, they're that. all kind of like westerns. I mean, oh no, no, like old west. Oh, oh, like yeah. historical, like a uh-huh. period piece. Uh huh. A Tremors period. So, piece. just so you know, in case you want to get back into Tremors, I know it's been a while. I once the graboids started flying, that was kind of it for me. They flew. I mean, they. I I saw. I think I've seen Trem. I've seen Tremors two a couple of times, and he oh, had a friend who had yeah. it. And I know I've seen Tremors 1 to understand Tremors 2, but like... Tremors 3 is worth watching too, but hey, this is not all in on Tremors. No, no, but I'm saying like... But like, but the Graveloids, like, (laughs) I feel that that's the idea, is that they have probably a meaty center. Somewhere past the teeth is a stomach, and that stomach is made of soft tissue, and if you blow that up, they might not live anymore. That's fair. Okay. So, now we know next time, we will tell the Guadian Death Gang how to handle 
Raftars. Okay. You, you got to bring, you know, rocket launchers and grenades and just shoot it straight down. So Show is, no fear. Shoot it straight in the center. What does King Tana want these Raftars for? So Fort? that is a crazy question, yeah. right? Because the only reason I can think you would ever have these things is for two reasons. One, to cause massacres. Uh-huh. Or... To have a rancor situation of I keep one for my enemies and I feed them. But why would Han Solo be in that level of business? <laughs> well, I mean, hey, good money. Now, how many people can howl Rathars? The, the my the head cannon I'm going to give it is King Rana Unknown runs the San Diego Zoo of Space. And it's one of the only species he doesn't have a sample of. He doesn't have a specimen of Rathtar. Got it, got it. So he's got the Dianonga. He's got the Wampa. He just needs a Rathtar. He just, yes. He's okay. He's got a huge gaming reservation. It's an entire planet-sized zoo. <laughs> he needs all of, he's the Noah of space. He needs to have one or two of everything. Okay. Well, like, only one Rathtar. Because you got to think there's no, by fission. there's no constructive purpose for this. But then, you know, knowing the way that, you know, actual people have done things in history, uh-huh. I'm sure, like, Rathtar tentacles and aphrodisiac. That's why we're hauling these things across space. <laughs> we're gonna make Rathtar right, tentacle you gotta soup. Eat it, out you of gotta them. eat it fresh. You gotta hold uh, of this okay. thing in a cargo bay. Then some guys drop a grenade in it. We harvest the mm-hmm, harvest mm-hmm. thing, and King Prana has a great night. So let me ask you, Mac. Did you get the Rathtar toy, the three and three quarter inch Rathtar toy that came with the Bollock T figure, that sort of deluxe pack? I did not. I was. It, extremely like in well, my hands going to the target checkout before I thought better of it of the Lego version of the Wrath Tar. Ah, oh, the Lego version is cool. So as you know, Mac, I buy a lot of stuff. You do. I buy a lot of Star Wars stuff. And I did buy that three and three quarter because like I imagine many other Star Wars fans did, I didn't collect just the thing I collect of Star Wars, which is the six inch black series line and the books. I decided that oh, I'm going to buy every three and three quarter force awakens figure. I'm going to buy everything that they released for the movie. Very and I'm smart. Like, well, this rat tar looks pretty cool. I got to get this too. I need this boy. It was a pain to put those tentacles in. Most of them oh. didn't stay. Yeah. You oh. had to stick each and every individual tentacle into this plastic body it did not go well i think we've said before like i grew up on the three and three quarter figures like power of the force and stuff mm-hmm. and there's disapp- power of the force too there's such a disappointment to me that i remember like the last time i bought some in any mass quantity like 2005 six mm-hmm. like they had all points of articulate double jointed elbows yeah and you're knees. not a big fan of the five poa are you well and when they came back they're like hey it's like the old figures i'm like why are we going backwards and then when you tell me things of like, oh, we actually have a really complex wrath chart because, you know, it's, it has to be complex. It can't just be a point of articulation. And I go, and they made it so it doesn't work well. It's like a kind of cruddy diorama thing. You know what's interesting is I think that wrath figure might have technically zero points of articulation. Oh, that's fantastic. So each gray. You, you basically Do like, you know what you we call plug that? them in uh, a statue. We call that an inaction figure. Okay, okay. Because it has no action. It is inactive. Yeah. So I guess each tentacle can kind of twist, but I feel like, A, they'll pop right out if you Can do I just that. say that that's really stupid when you have the perfect answer for tentacles? We've already had Star Wars toys with infinite points of articulation. Bendems? That's right. Oh, Those tentacles should just be you know, rubber with a... With a wire running you down, you could put a little slinky end on there. Then you could you just to. put the tentacles any way you oh, want. There's got to be. All right, I'm sure that's a galaxy's edge. No, 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 no. That's going to be the Hasbro Labs six inch variant. 
I'd buy it. I know you would. You know I would. You know, I've been thinking about getting rid of all my figures and only collecting books and comic books. That's probably a healthier thing to do. It would be, which is probably why I probably won't do it because, Uh uh, you know, they just put out that Mace Windu six-inch figure, so now i got to get that. Well, I think the thing about it is I think you should just display them and just do the scenes like you've been doing and just call that a day. So, so, wait, does Balak T have a six-inch yet? Of course not. No, he's going to come, come with, with the, the Ratsar. Right, right. Oh, Balati. Yeah. <sighs> Tell that to Kanji Club. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, anyway, the point is, <laughs> Rathars are cool. They I don't like make them. good figures. A, a lot of people seem to dislike the Rathar in the Star Wars community. A lot of the people I talk to seem to not be a fan of it. You know, uh, you know what? It's threatening. It's new. It's interesting. Well, I feel the thing that most Star Wars fans, I think creatures are always like a a... Uh, a stringent point that that Star Wars fans get annoyed with because yeah. I don't know if anyone who's like oh the 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 creatures are what I love about Star Wars all the other science stuff I don't care like I love the creature like there's not a whole lot of those fans around and I think that makes it why there are so many creatures in Star Wars and they do not follow the same rules because they're from different planets they have different biologies there should be diversity I remember people yes. um, I'm not gonna remember its name but the 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 um, the lizard that Obi-Wan rides in Utapau on three. Oh, I remember a lot of yeah. people had problems with that. Like, why does it have like feathers and stuff? I'm like, cause it's, it's, it's a space lizard. Like, yeah, I remember people just feeling that that didn't feel star Wars. And I'm like, it's, it's a, it's a stringier dewback. You guys remember there were dewbacks in the first movie, right? <laughs> remember the Daganga, which you're like, you'd think that the, that the Death Star would be clean enough that it wouldn't have any just creatures on it. <laughs> now you and I know why. <laughs> we do. We, we do. do. But the point of the matter is this is not Omni's story. The point is, I feel that the Rathtars are perfectly valid because there are no rules to the biologies in Star Wars. Yes. And so the idea of this, terrible tentacle monster i think it's just something that comes out of a world where eastern views and stuff have have come over and the idea of a gibbering mound a, a lovecraftian horror that's just a maw of teeth and tentacles is very now it wouldn't have probably ever made it into st- well we know what a tentacle monster with eyes would look like in the 70s it's in the trash compactor in in the death star <laughs> but if it wasn't yeah. that today that would be interpreted as the Rathtar. yeah the Rathtar is scary. Terrifying. It gets things moving. Han is the one hauling them, which I'm all about. I think the Rathtar is a pretty cool addition to Star Wars, and I'm on board. Yeah, and I think just its inherent danger just reminds you of just how hard Han Solo's life has become in the time since we've saw him. It's not just hauling cargo anymore. No. All right. Well, Mac, do you have anything else to add about the Rathtar? No. Yeah, me either. I like it. I want to see more of them. Give me some. Uh, give me that Raptar one shot. Let me let me learn about the Raptar's home planet. <laughs> no, let no, me no. Learn no. about their species. No. I want a story about a Raptar. I want to hear its name. I want to know how it thinks. <laughs> you know Got what it. I want. Yes. Okay. We'll make that happen one day. I'm sure. All right. Well, until our next segment. See you around. <laughs> All right, and that's how our episode wraps up. I think we had some fun talking about Tobias Beckett, E-11 Blaster Rifles, and the Rathchars. Yes, I had a great time because we talked about some things I really, really like today. Specifically, 
Woody Harrelson in space. I like we covered a lot. We went through the dark times with Solo. We went through some stuff from the OT. And then we also hit a little bit of the sequel trilogy, too. Yeah, little, you know, everybody, almost everywhere. Almost like it was planned that way. Oh, oh, speaking about oh, planning ahead, <laughs> uh, if you like what you hear, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter uh, by searching Star Wars All In. You can also find us on Facebook and uh, join in on the discussion. You know, let us know what you think about these topics. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. Uh, come back and check with us every Wednesday as we release new episodes. Because right now, this is episode five. And while you may know this or you may not, the first five episodes of this show are going to be available all at once, all, all at once when we launch. They're already in your podcasting software of choice. You just have to find them. So, having said all that, please, any thoughts you have, any opinions you feel about these bits and pieces from around the galaxy, let us know your thoughts. Tell us what you like and what you want to hear more of. Right. And I'm going to say this section over time, we will do tips of the hat to our fandom and our community and try to bring you in. Um, we're probably never going to maybe get a like a real mailbag section kind of thing. But we do plan on as we release new episodes, kind of comment on some of them. We are not going to go back and correct every mistake we made. Again, this is a casual conversation, but we would like to. I mean, I would like to be at least corrected in private you can just email me yeah any mistakes we make we i'd love to know about them so yes. i can learn because that's what star wars is all about is learning more and that's what i like getting more into it so please get in touch with us enjoy your fandom with us and join our community we are just starting out the the next episode will be the first episode like produced for the week that we're actually bringing it out <laughs> not us testing equipment and trying things out that's right that's right um so we, we we are just about to uh push the the uh you know barrel over the hill and see if it rolls down the hill safely um so Come and join us, won't you? Because uh, the plan is we will be trying to do a weekly podcast, hopefully right. most every week. I mean, we're human. Uh, but the idea is, I think we can release on Wednesday. Do we agree on Wednesdays? I think Wednesday sounds good. Yeah, we're going to release. Uh, basically, we should be available first thing in the morning every Wednesday. Correct. And that is one episode that will be multiple segments, typically three segments, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. We feel that most of our episodes are going to be close to the hour and 30 mark or more. So, you know, there should be a good bit of us to go around each week. Um, most importantly, though, I'd like to know what topics you'd like to hear us talk about. Right. So please, please, please feel free Reach out to us, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know what you want to see. Yeah, give us more feedback on on because we will run out of topics we can think of ourselves, and we love to research new stuff. And we would love to hear what you think about the format and and what we can do to like tighten things up or 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 make things looser or or we we are ready to finally take what we have thought is the right answer, give it to you, and then you us <laughs> tell us exactly how we can. Let's be kind. Improve it. That's right. That's right. Here's the thing. What we're doing here is inherently biased. 
We're yes. picking topics we want to talk about. We're picking things we feel are interesting. We're trying to be as diverse in the galaxy as we can. We're trying to get guests from all different segments, not to give anything away, but we're going to have a relatively new Star Wars fan on in the very near future to tell us yes. about their experience getting into the fandom at a later age. So we are going to try some different things, but really the whole point of this show is just Star Wars fans talking to each other. That's all we want. We just want you to be part of our community, part of our Our conversation. conversation, Right. Yes. So get in here with us. Let us know what you think. Find us online. You know how to search for things. Star Wars all in on every site you could imagine. Yep. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we hope to hear from you soon. That's right. So check us out every Wednesday, wherever podcasts are sold. And we'll (laughs) see you next time. All right. Till then, may the force be with you. And you, Mac. And you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Grieco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.